Questioning Your Bad Thoughts, Cognitive Therapy, Chapter 6. Be not swept off your feet by the vividness of the impression, but say, Impression, wait for me a little. Let me see what you are and what you represent. Epicetus, BC 55 to 135. While exposure therapy remains the treatment of choice for bad thoughts, over the past decade, an additional treatment has become available called cognitive therapy. It is for those unable or unwilling to undergo exposure therapy. The idea has always been attractive. Since obsessions are composed of thoughts that are, on the face of them, irrational, why can't a sufferer learn how to directly change these thoughts? But as usual, the practice proved much more difficult than the theory would have predicted. Early attempts to modify cognitive therapy, a treatment first proven effective for depression, for the treatment of OCD were generally unsuccessful. Initially, Researchers attempted to directly apply the methods developed to Dr. Aaron Beck at the University of Pennsylvania to teach patients how to identify and modify irrational thoughts that led to depression. After several studies with only mixed results, Dr. Patricia Van Open and Paul Emmelkamp, working in the Netherlands, wondered whether cognitive therapy might prove more effective for OCD if it was tailored specifically for irrational thoughts that are characteristic of this disorder. Rather than using the standard depression treatment program as it had been done before, the researchers surveyed many OCD patients and found a number of common kinds of irrational thoughts, including mistakes such as overestimating the chances of danger and feeling overly responsible for the results of their actions. Based on their studies, they developed a cognitive therapy treatment program tailored specifically for OCD and began studies comparing this new method to our gold standard treatment exposure therapy and also to our placebo treatment. Shockingly, to those of us who view exposure therapy as the bedrock treatment for OCD, they found that cognitive therapy, that is, teaching patients how to directly change their thoughts, was as effective as exposure treatment, and both were far more effective than the placebo. Because cognitive therapy seemed to hold promise as a treatment that might be helpful for those of our patients who are unwilling or unable to undergo exposure therapy, several of my colleagues at Massachusetts General Hospital headed by Dr. Sabine Wilhelm, translated the cognitive therapy treatment manual from the original Dutch into English and began studying this treatment for OCD patients in Boston. Encouragingly, this treatment appears to be especially helpful for patients suffering from the type of bad thoughts that are subject of this book. It now seems likely that by teaching patients about their own thought processes and how to test them for rationality, many patients are able to get their bad thoughts under control. Before giving you an example of how cognitive therapy is used in a particular bad thought, in this case about incest, it is important to understand the theory underlying this treatment. The Cognitive Theory of Obsessions Cognitive therapy for treating obsessions is based on the idea that intrusive thoughts are occurrences that everyone experiences. According to this theory, the person who suffers from OCD does not differ from one without OCD in the content of her thoughts. After all, everyone has violent or sexual thoughts from time to time, but simply in the way she reacts and interprets her thoughts. While most people are able to ignore intrusive thoughts and recognize them as unimportant, the person with OCD pays too much attention to them and interprets them as very important. Cognitive therapists assume that the person with OCD pays too much attention to her thoughts because of beliefs that she learned early in church, school, or in her family. Also, 
If she underestimates her ability to cope with intrusive thoughts, she will probably try to suppress her intrusive thoughts, which we now know will actually only give her bad thoughts added strength. To make matters worse, she will probably begin to avoid situations that trigger her bad thoughts, making a bad situation even worse. As we've seen, although her thought suppression is a common strategy to get rid of intrusive thoughts, the approach usually backfires since many studies have found that when we try to suppress our thoughts, especially emotionally charged ones, these thoughts will occur more rather than less often. Researchers from around the world have recently classified the most common cognitive errors in OCD into the categories listed in Table 11. Table 11. Cognitive errors common among those with obsessions. Attributing too much importance to having a particular thought. Thinking they need to be able to completely control their thoughts. Thinking a situation is more dangerous than it really is. Intolerance of uncertainty. Wanting to have total certainty. Perfectionism. Wanting to do things perfectly to avoid any criticism from others. Excessive responsibility. Believing you have the ultimate responsibility and power to prevent bad things from happening. In cognitive therapy treatment, the therapist assesses which of these areas a patient is having problems in and then addresses these areas with specific procedures, described later in this chapter. Overimportance of thoughts and the need to control them. This cognitive error occurs when we conclude that simply because we have a particular thought, it must be meaningful. Similarly, we may conclude that simply because we are thinking about something, this means that it will actually happen. If we have this mistaken belief about the importance of thoughts, we may start to believe that we have to exercise complete control over all of our thoughts, which unfortunately, as we have seen, is doomed to fail. Overestimating danger. People with OCD often overestimate both the likelihood and the dangerousness of things that may happen. They may often view a situation as threatening until they are guaranteed that it is safe. Most people without OCD, on the other hand, assume that the situation is safe unless it's proven to be dangerous. Intolerance of uncertainty. Because most people with OCD tend to overestimate the likelihood of danger, they often have trouble making decisions in uncertain or ambiguous situations, then subsequently question whether their decision was correct. Several researchers have found a connection between perfectionism, concern over mistakes, doubts about actions, and OCD symptoms. Perfectionism. Several studies of OCD have found a connection between inability to tolerate uncertainty and perfectionism. For instance, OCD sufferers believe that their actions must be perfect if they are to avoid criticism from others. Excessive responsibility. If you have to believe that you are the primary power and responsibility to make sure that bad things don't happen, then you probably commit this cognitive error, since many, if not most, outcomes in life are beyond our control. Excessive responsibility will often lead to guilt when bad things happen to us or our loved ones even when in reality we had no control to avert these things. Case example. Cognitive therapy for sexual obsessions. To illustrate how the cognitive distortions listed above are addressed in cognitive therapy, I've asked Dr. Wilhelm to discuss a patient who used cognitive therapy to control bad thoughts. She told me about a young man she had recently seen who had done well with brief cognitive therapy and whose treatment illustrated its various elements. Charles had come to see Dr. Wilhelm for help with upsetting thoughts about incest with his mother, which had worsened over the past year to the point to hardly do anything because the thoughts bothered him so much. When he first came to the clinic, he tried to tense all his muscles to push his thoughts out of his mind, and he had not even eaten for two days because he didn't want to allow himself any pleasure, and because he thought that doing anything pleasurable, from buying new clothes to sexual activity, 
would bring on the bad thoughts and that had to be avoided. Dr. Wilhelm had only two months to work with Charles because he was leaving on an extended trip to his home country. After only eight sessions of cognitive therapy, Charles noted a marked reduction in his bad thoughts about incest, which remained low even during a visit to his family when he was able to be around his mother with little difficulty. Dr. Wilhelm told me that the single most important element in Charles' rapid progress was simply his understanding the cognitive theory of his obsessions. For example, she believes that no technique was as powerful for Charles as his learnings about the studies showing that everybody has bad thoughts about violence and sex from time to time. Just understanding that everybody has weird thoughts and the only way that he was different was in how he was reacting to those thoughts was a revelation to Charles. For years, he had been thinking he was having these incestuous thoughts because he was either an evil person or a sexual monster. Now he learned this wasn't true. Had he convinced himself that because he was thinking these incestuous thoughts, one day he would surely act on them. But he learned that this too was untrue. These realizations began to free Charles from the self-imposed prison his life had become. Before treatment, his life had gotten more and more constricted in an attempt to avoid the sexual thoughts. When he first came to see Dr. Wilhelm for treatment, Dr. Charles was not able to shop, only ate when his wife was around, and rarely socialized. If a bad thought came to him while he was doing something pleasurable, that activity would immediately be ruined for him. He went out of his way to avoid any activities during which he had ever had a bad thought. At his first session, Charles told Dr. Wilhelm that his bad thoughts occurred almost constantly throughout the day. The thoughts were upsetting and it interfered with his concentration both at work and at home. He also disclosed fears about becoming contaminated and washing excessively. He was also disgusted with bodily wastes and with insects, and he avoided public restrooms. Nevertheless, Charles told Dr. Wilhelm that these other problems were far overshadowed by his bad thoughts about incest. Charles had never before had any psychiatric treatment and did not want to take any medications. His marriage was intact, except for his wife was becoming frustrated with his OCD symptoms. Charles described his father as having very high moral standards, and his mother as a saint, and the person he loved and respected the most. As usual in his country, discussions about sexual topics were taboo in the home while he was growing up. Being strongly influenced by his religious upbringing, Charles believed strongly that he should never have bizarre sexual thoughts and thus felt guilty and ashamed about the incestual thoughts about his mother and his sister. He told Dr. Wilhelm that if he only could exercise enough willpower, he should be able to control his bad thoughts, and he became anxious when his attempts to stop the intrusive thoughts failed. Charles believed that having sexual thoughts like these indicated that he was a bad person, and a catastrophe would happen if he was unable to control his thoughts. Finally, Charles believed that he could never have peace of mind so long as he had the bad thoughts. To make matters worse, Charles thought it was dangerous to permit his bad thoughts to come and go naturally, so he attempted to suppress them. As Dr. Wilhelm sat listening to Charles' story with the ears of a cognitive therapist, she recognized that his set of misconceptions and beliefs had left him vulnerable to interpreting his bad thoughts in a way that was destined to lead anxiety and guilt. Below is a detailed description of how she used a variety of cognitive therapy techniques to correct these misconceptions and irrational beliefs. Treatment. At first, Charles was embarrassed when he talked about his bad thoughts. To help him feel more comfortable, Dr. Wilhelm tried to be encouraging, warm, and non-judgmental. She showed confidence that the cognitive treatment would be helpful and stressed how important it was for the two of them to collaborate on the treatment. In the first treatment session, Charles learned about the cognitive therapy for OCD. Dr. Wilhelm gave him 
a new way of looking at his bad thoughts specifically, rather than being an unusual bizarre symptom. Intrusive bad thoughts were actually common experiences that most people have. At this point, Dr. Wilhelm told Charles about the studies of normal college students in several countries confirming that bad thoughts are universal. She then helped Charles to become more aware that the circumstances influenced his negative interpretations of his bad thoughts, such as his past experiences in his family, whether he was feeling anxious or depressed, and taught him about the dangers of avoidance and thought suppression in unwittingly maintaining obnoxious obsessions. In subsequent treatment sessions, Charles acquired skills to recognize maladaptive appraisals and reactions to intrusive thoughts and learned to develop alternative interpretations of intrusions, assisted by the Socratic questioning technique. Examples included, is your appraisal of the intrusion helpful right now? Is your appraisal realistic? What would you tell another OCD patient about this? Charles was also taught how to fill out a thought record which helped him to identify his irrational and negative appraisals of bad thoughts and to learn to develop more rational alternatives. He completed these thought records both during treatment sessions and as homework assignments. From the thought records he had been keeping, Charles and Dr. Wilhelm determined which cognitive distortions were most problematic with him. They then decided to first tackle Charles' need to control his thoughts and his overestimating of their importance since these were the areas in which Charles had the most severe problems. Later, they addressed Charles' tendency to overestimate the probability and severity of danger. Throughout the eight sessions, Dr. Wilhelm taught Charles a variety of cognitive techniques. Some addressed cognitive distortions, such as making a list of the advantages and disadvantages of believing in a certain interpretation. Other techniques were relevant only for a specific distortion, such as the thought suppression test to show firsthand paradoxical effects of trying to control one's own thoughts. Between sessions, Charles carried out experiments to test himself for the material discussed in the sessions. The final session focused on learning how to prevent a relapse of symptoms in the future. Dr. Wilhelm explained that obsessions would probably flare up from time to time, but that Charles would know how to cope with them. She advised him to keep back working through his thoughts after the end of the treatment and discuss techniques to handle the setbacks and relapses. Below is a detailed description of the cognitive techniques that Charles learned during his treatment sessions. If you have bad thoughts, you may find that trying these strategies will help you as well. Thought suppression experiment. According to the cognitive theory, Charles' sexual thoughts had become a problem because of the way he was reacting to them. Because Charles believed that his intrusive bad thoughts were important and unacceptable, he was greatly bothered by them, and so he tried to suppress them. Sadly, he learned that it is nearly impossible to suppress our thoughts. To teach firsthand how difficult it is to control our thoughts, Dr. Wilhelm asked Charles to think about a giraffe continuously for one minute. Have someone time you and watch if you are trying this exercise. He was told to lift his finger any time the giraffe disappeared from his mind. As Dr. Wilhelm expected, Charles found it difficult to concentrate on the giraffe for the whole minute and he lifted his finger over and over. Dr. Wilhelm reversed her instructions and told Charles not to think about the giraffe for one full minute and to lift his finger any time the giraffe came to his mind. Once again, Charles lifted his finger over and over. In fact, Charles' attempt to suppress the giraffe thoughts actually resulted in more rather than fewer of these. They then discussed implications of the thought suppression experiment and Charles' efforts to suppress his intrusive sexual thoughts. Charles agreed that experience showed that thought suppression was not an effective approach, since it made thoughts occur more frequently. Education about how our thoughts and emotions work. Psychoeducation. 
Charles' beliefs about his obsessions were normalized by educating him about how sexual thoughts, fantasies, and arousal really work. He learned, for example, that we may all find ourselves thinking about or being aroused by a wide range of things, including some unrelated to sexual behavior. Dr. Wilhelm encouraged him to get sex education books from the library to learn more about the common sexual fantasies and the physiology of arousal. At first, he was too embarrassed to read about these topics, but soon he overcame this and he read several books that reduced the catastrophic interpretations of his sexual fantasies. The Downward Arrow Technique Charles found the downward arrow technique particularly beneficial for his recovery. After he had identified a particular intrusive bad thought, Dr. Wilhelm kept pressing him about the meaning or significance of the intrusive thought. And if that thought were true, what would it mean? She kept asking. Until Charles' fundamental beliefs were disclosed. Table 12 lists Charles' bad thoughts and underlying beliefs that were identified by using the downward arrow technique. Table 12. Images and thoughts about sex with mother. Down arrow. These thoughts are disgusting. Down arrow. I need to get rid of these thoughts. Down arrow. If I cannot control these thoughts, I might act on them. Down arrow. I am evil. Assessing advantages and disadvantages of bad thoughts. Dr. Wilhelm asked Charles to question his belief that he needed to suppress this kind of bad thoughts that were identified by the downward arrow technique. Here, Charles listed the advantages and all the disadvantages that he could think of that came to mind from believing that he should control these thoughts. Next, Dr. Wilhelm helped Charles to check the validity of each of the advantages he listed through a question-and-answer approach called the Socratic Method. The technique convinced Charles that he would be far better off to stop trying so hard to control his bad thoughts, since this was a losing battle that was causing him more disadvantages than advantages, a change that led to substantial drop in his obsessions. Examining the Evidence by Performing Behavioral Experiments Using the downward arrow technique revealed that one of Charles' most frightening beliefs was that he would eventually act on the incestuous thoughts if he was not able to control them. Dr. Wilhelm helped Charles challenge this assumption by demonstrating from everyday examples that thinking about something does not make it more likely to happen. Whether riding a train and thinking about sticking his tongue out, or sitting in the waiting room and thinking about throwing all of the magazines in the garbage can, Charles agreed that thinking about these things did not really make them more likely to happen. Next, Charles was asked to carry out behavioral experiments to test his theory. For example, Charles was to try thinking about dancing in the nude in the clinic's waiting room to see if this would lead him to actually do it. He didn't. He was asked to view these experiments in which he was playing the role of a scientist collecting evidence that would either support or disprove his hypothesis. So like a scientist, Charles began noting his prediction. If I think of something sexual, immoral, or embarrassing, I will not be able to resist doing it, and also rating the strength of his belief in the theory. After the experiment was completed, Charles and Dr. Wilhelm revealed his initial prediction and compared it with the results of the experiment. Through the scientific process, Charles began to understand that his theories and predictions did not hold up to objective evidence. Thinking about something did not inevitably make it happen. As a result, he was gradually forced to change his beliefs and to agree with the evidence that had gathered in the experiments. Questioning Basic Beliefs During the downward arrow procedure, the belief, I am evil, emerged. The therapist assisted Charles to become more aware of the strongly held belief and then carefully introduced the idea that a more accurate belief might be, I am extremely worried about acting immorally and hurting my mother. 
Together, Charles and Dr. Wilhelm examined whether any evidence, apart from the intrusive thoughts, suggested that Charles was evil. Next, they investigated whether evidence suggested that Charles was not evil. This strategy helped Charles to see himself in a more realistic way, and he gradually concluded that the belief that he was evil was not accurate. Cognitive Continuum Technique Another effective technique to challenge the belief that Charles was evil was the Cognitive Continuum Technique. On a scale from zero, the most moral person, to 100, the most immoral, evil person ever, Charles rated how evil he was for thinking about sex with his mother. Then Dr. Wilhelm asked him to rate how bad, immoral, a mass murderer, or rapist, is. After each example, Charles related his own badness for simply thinking about his sex with his mother. Eventually, Charles realized that having an intrusive thought about his mother was relatively harmless and was not nearly as evil as he appraised it initially. Calculating the true probability of danger. As mentioned earlier, although less severe than in sexual sessions, Charles had contamination and illness fears and related cleaning rituals. The techniques and behavioral experiments described above were also used to treat contamination and illness fears. Dr. Wilhelm taught Charles to contrast his original estimate of harm to the multiplied estimations of the entire sequence of events that would need to be necessary to result in the feared outcome. First, Charles estimated the probability of a negative outcome. In collaboration with the therapist, he then established each of the individual steps that would have to take place to result in the dangerous outcome. Next, Charles was asked to estimate the chance of each of these individual events occurring separately. With the help of a calculator, Charles then calculated the final cumulative probability by multiplying all the probabilities together of each individual event. Finally, Charles showed the therapist compared to this probability estimate to Charles' initial estimate. Table 13 shows that Charles' original estimate of the probability of developing AIDS by shaking his dentist's hand was 30%. He and Dr. Wilhelm then discussed that following the sequence of steps would have to occur for Charles to develop AIDS. Table 13, calculating the true probability of danger. Event 1, the dentist must have HIV-positive blood on his hands. Chance of this happening, 1 in 1,000. Two. I came in touch with the virus while shaking his hand. 1 in 10. 3. My skin was broken at the point of contact. 1 in 10. 4. The virus generates HIV. 1 in 10. 5. HIV develops into AIDS. 1 in 10. Cumulative chance of all events. 1 in 10 million. After completing this process, Charles was so surprised to find out how low the real chance of danger. 0.00001% as calculated from his own estimates, compared to his original estimate of 30%. Outcome of treatment. Charles' pretreatment score on the YBOCS was 35, indicating that his OCD was very severe. However, immediately after treatment, his YBOCS score had dropped to 18, thus showing considerable improvement. With a symptom reduction of nearly 50%, he was considered a treatment responder. Overall, Charles rated himself as much improved at the end of treatment. Charles returned two months after the end of treatment and was clearly continuing to improve. His YBCOS score had dropped to 8, indicating he had only mild OCD symptoms. Overall, Charles rated himself as much improved. Although we are encouraged by our early studies with cognitive therapy for bad thoughts, Exposure therapy remains the first-line non-drug treatment for the problem. On the other hand, if someone suffering 
from bad thoughts, is unwilling or unable to do the necessary exposure tasks, then cognitive therapy gives us another useful approach to try. As an example, Dr. Wilhelm told me that although Charles' sexual obsessions may have responded just as well to exposure to being around his mother, perhaps supplemented with an audio tape containing an incestuous scenario, as described in chapter 5, she doubts that he would have been willing to fully comply with this approach. In a recent survey in our clinic, Dr. Wilhelm discovered that many of her patients find the cognitive therapy approach more acceptable as a first step in treatment. Later, as they understand more about their thoughts and beliefs, many are willing to do exposure tasks. Though some patients' bad thoughts have responded well to cognitive therapy approach alone, such as one of Dr. Wilhelm's patients suffering from intrusive thoughts that she may be gay, for this woman, simply understanding the cognitive theory of why she had these thoughts was enough for her to rapidly get relief from them. You may already have noticed that, in reality, it is usually impossible to do cognitive therapy without including some elements of exposure. In Charles' case, for example, discussing his incestuous thoughts with Dr. Wilhelm was a form of exposure, and no doubt resulted in habituation of his anxiety and shame about them. This is one reason I suggest that even if you try to control your bad thoughts alone, you should try to find someone you trust enough to tell about your thoughts. This can be a health professional, a friend, a family member, or a religious advisor. In summary, our early studies of cognitive therapy for bad thoughts suggest that this will be a useful treatment. On the other hand, we have not yet studied the effectiveness of this approach when it is self-administered. So if you think you might benefit from this treatment, but you find that you are not able to use the methods outlined in the chapter to help yourself, you should seek out a qualified mental health professional with experience in this kind of treatment to help you.